Welcome to the Harvard Center for International Development's Road to Gem 23 Climate and Development Podcast. CID's Road to Gem 23 series precedes and helps launch CID's Global Empowerment Meeting or GEM, Growing in a Green World, which will take place this May. This spring, CID strives to elevate and learn from voices from the countries on the front lines of the climate crisis. And we feature important learnings from the leaders who will be active participants at GEM23. This week, we are joined by Joseph Asonke, CEO of Afrobarometer, a pan-African nonpartisan survey research network that conducts public attitude surveys on democracy, governance, the economy, and society headquartered in Ghana. I'm sitting down with Joseph after his appearance at the Harvard Kennedy School on February 10th. Joseph, thank you for being here with us today. So, Joseph, please tell us a little bit about yourself and about Afrobarometer. Thank you so much, Amir, for having me. And thanks to your listeners and Harvard's Center for International Development Community for, for this opportunity to and I'll share with you about Afrobarometer. My name is Joseph Asonka, as you rightly pointed out. I am the Chief Executive Officer of Afrobarometer. I have been in this role for about two years now, but prior to that, I worked at the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation as a Program Officer in the Global Development and Population Program. And before I went to Hewlett, I used to teach at the University of California at Los Angeles, UCLA, where I completed my graduate studies in political science. And I taught there for two years before going up to the Hewlett Foundation to take up that role. So briefly about Afrobarometer, as you mentioned, Afrobarometer is a Pan-African survey research network. What we do is to conduct surveys on the continent to capture people's opinions, their views, their experiences, and their evaluations of issues related to governance, the economy, and social life on the continent. We capture this data across about 40 countries, and the goal is to give African citizens a voice in policymaking. The reason being that you know, African publics need to have a voice in what affects them in their daily lives. And what we do is to collect the data, analyze it, and share the anal analysis with different stakeholders on the continent and outside the continent to ensure that when they're developing policies or at whatever public policies they're developing or any developments that they're bringing into the country, whether it is their governments or other stakeholders, that they take into account what citizens' views are, what they're preferences are and what they think their government should be prioritizing when it comes to development. Our surveys are face-to-face -face interviews. What we do is conduct these surveys in what we call survey rounds. Each round takes between 18 to 24 months to complete. And we are currently, we started in 1999 with round one. We are now in the ninth round of the survey. So, and then next year, this year, later this year, we'll start with the 10th round of the survey. As I mentioned, our interviews are conducted face-to-face, -face, and we have so far conducted about 350,000 interviews since 1999 across the continent in up to 39 countries. 
just briefly to say that the data is out there as a public good, and this data is used extensively by governments and other policymakers, academics, and researchers to do different things, whether make decisions or analyze or write papers or support their own analysis in different ways. Thank you, Joseph. In explaining us more about Afrobarometers, you talk about surveys and interview. So the next question will be, how does Afrobarometer gather data about climate change from the population? Yeah, thanks for that question. I think so climate change is one of the special topics that we cover in our surveys. We started asking about climate change in 2017 when climate change became a global you know, topic across the continent, but also, of course, globally. What we normally do, just like we do with other topics that we cover in our surveys, what we normally do is to develop a set of questions about a particular topic that we present to respondents to allow them to, to give them the opportunity to share their experiences with us. And what usually what we check for is, first of all, just knowledge and awareness of a particular phenomenon like climate change. So what some of the questions are about knowledge and awareness. Some of the questions are about their experiences. What are they experiencing now that is different than what they used to experience, say, five years or 10 years ago? And our others are about assessing key stakeholders and how key stakeholders are tackling the phenomenon of climate change. Do they think they are doing enough? And then finally, we ask about responsibility. Who do you think is responsible for limiting climate change? And so these are the areas of questioning that we ask, and we gather data from all of these topics, starting from awareness all the way down to who do you think is responsible for limiting climate change? So in this context of climate change, why do you think that Africans should care about, the, about climate change especially in a context where Africa contributes far less than 3% of the world's total greenhouse gas emissions? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Well, Africans care about climate change because they have to care about it. I think that's one way of putting it. The reason being that they have no choice. They have no choice because they are experiencing the effects of climate change. And so even though... Africans, you say, contribute very little to greenhouse emissions, which is the direct cause, of course, has been established as the direct cause of climate change. They are experiencing the effects of climate change. And so caring about whether or not they will do something about it, but it's more about what they are experiencing. And that is the reason why they would have to care about it. It's, it's affecting their lives daily. They are you know, increasing intensity of floods and cyclones and, you know, Medical droughts across the continent. And I think all of these are just impacting people's lives in a daily basis. And even though they contribute little to it, they are actually disproportionately being affected by it. What are some of the key highlights of your findings on climate change? Excellent. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that. I think there have, there have been some interesting findings, both from the experience and the awareness side, but all the way down to you know, who they think should be responsible for climate fighting climate change. So the key interesting finding about awareness, usually when we start our questioning, we ask people whether you are or not you are aware of climate change. What we found in our survey is that only about half of Africans express or tell us that they are aware of climate change. And this, what this tells us is that you know, it's climate change awareness is still not as widespread as one would have hoped. But for those who are aware of climate change, there are 
a number of things that they've expressed to us when we ask them questions about you know, evaluations and experiences. The first being that there's a general sense that climate change is making life more difficult for people on the continent. And that's, that's a key concern. Across all the countries that we have surveyed so far, we have majority of people who are aware of climate change telling us that it is making life more difficult. The second is there's this widespread demand for governments to take immediate action. And the demand to take immediate action is just not calling a government to act, but people are actually go, have gone further to say that even if that means that the actions government take could lead to some job losses or some harm on the economy because they see climate change as a priority for governments to address. And even if they did that with some cost to citizens or some discomfort to citizens, they are willing to accept that. So that's one of the key findings. And there's this firm belief that climate change is a shared responsibility among governments, citizens, the international community, and private sector and private actors. Often when we talk about climate change debates, the first question you ask, you know, why should Africans care about climate change? Because they are not contributing in a lot to it. So should they be the ones being responsible? But what we see from African citizens is that they see the fight against climate change as part of their own responsibility. And we think, you know, this does give policymakers some leverage because it is not just, they're not just putting it on governments. They think they have a role to play. It's just that then governments will need to create the conditions that can facilitate citizen participation in terms of active engagement to limit the effects of, and to limit climate change and also potentially to adapt to climate change. So those are the key findings I want to highlight here. From your key finding, you say that African citizens think that they have a role. And can you elaborate more on that? Yes, uh, the, 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 the two other key findings that speak to that. First being that when we ask people whether citizens can play a role, we do have a majority of citizens saying that they can play a role in limiting climate change. And especially among those who express awareness of climate change, there's a strong willing, willingness on their part to engage in climate mitigation action including making sacrifices along the way to make sure that climate change policies actually work out. And I think this is an important, like, useful finding because often when governments want to adopt or implement a policy, the question is always, how will the citizens react to this kind of policy? So just take as an example, if a government decides to ban the use of one-time or single-use plastic bags, that's a difficult decision because it has economic implications. It might impact people differently. And uh, people in the business of producing plastic bags may resist such a move, policy move. But across the continent, on average, people feel like they need to make some sacrifices to ensure that some of those policies actually get implemented. The second one is that even though citizens feel like they can play a role, they don't think the stakeholders are doing enough. And that's what we find across the board that governments, citizens themselves, the international community, and private sector are really not doing enough to limit climate change on the continent. And that's a big call to key stakeholders to tackle, not to act immediately to address the climate change. Thank you, Joseph. The next question will be, in your opinion, what are the biggest challenges facing African countries 
in terms of mitigating and adapting to the impacts of climate change? Right. So maybe I'll just identify one or two topical and our concerns. The topmost one being the tension between livelihoods and limiting climate change. You know, fossil fuels continue to be the cheapest source of energy for on the continent for African governments. But of course, the increasing interest of moving away from fossil fuels is beginning to intensify because then fossil fuels are the ones that really lead to greenhouse emissions that can damage that continue to further damage the climate. So there's the tension between how much to limit fossil fuels and then also making sure that people have access to energy sources for their own livelihoods. And I think that's a very big problem. Moving away from fossil fuels, I know there have been debates about just energy transitions. Because how do you make it such that even when you are transitioning to renewable sources of energy, that there's affordability along the way that people can really afford these alternatives as opposed to the traditional ways of you know, getting energy from fossil fuels in particular. And so I think that's a tension. You, know, you need people have to survive, but also have to make sure that they don't damage the climate in the process. That's a conundrum for most African governments. How do you deal with those tensions? I think it's also a tension for the international community to not push too fast to have Africa get out of the production of fossil fuels. This has to be a gradual process. And when we talk about just energy transitions, I think if that comes into play, how do you make sure that a transition takes into account different people's you know, experience, especially you know, the economic impacts, the potential economic impact of the, on people. The second is that, of course, it's almost related to the first. Alternative sources of energy are not cheap whether you're talking about solar panels or something else, these are really expensive investments. And so if, for example, you know, governments wanted to make sure a government and development stakeholders are thinking of ways to transition away from energy sources that create or damage the environment or the, the climate more, again, thinking about ways to subsidize these alternative sources of energy can be very useful. I can imagine that, for example, if the government of a particular country were to give a subsidy to families to say, if you want to secure solar panels for your household, maybe the government would absorb some proportion of it and then allow you to pay some proportion of it to keep it as a resource for yourself. I can imagine that kind of investment leading people to disconnect from the national grid and have their own power supply, which can be very helpful in the long run. But the initial investment will definitely need to come from the public sector and from governments and other stakeholders. How does the issue of climate change intersect with other development challenges in Africa, such as poverty and inequalities? All right, there's, there's a great question and a question that you know, some of our analysts have continued to write about. Our data does show that so among those who are aware of climate change, there is a general consensus that it is making life more difficult for them. Okay, And so in, immediately you can see a direct link between climate change and people's livelihoods there. That is actually having an impact. But more importantly, it's having an impact on poverty level because our data also show that in the last survey round, poverty in lots of countries have gone up very rapidly. 
And these are also countries that are starting to experience some of the extreme weather conditions like floods and droughts and cyclones and the like. And so we see a direct link between what is happening in these countries and the levels of poverty that people are reporting. Obviously, we cannot discount the effect of COVID-19 because COVID-19 has also come in as an impact. And of course, people always talk of the triple C calamity that is befalling us. You know, COVID-19, climate change, and of course, you have conflict on the continent as well. These three Cs are huge factors that drive poverty. But we do think that we see a direct link between the effects of climate change and the increasing levels of poverty. The golden years of Africa when in the you know, early 1990s through to the late 1990s, the period of when we were used to call Africa rising and even into the 2000s. That period, we, when we started collecting the data you know, between you know, the late 1990s and through to the mid 2000s, we saw that poverty levels were declining on the continent. And that was consistent throughout the continent. But then in the last two survey rounds, we've seen that poverty has started to climb again, almost back to the levels of the 1980s. And that's a concern. Of course, conflict and COVID, yes, but climate change is one of the driving forces on poverty on the continent. Thank you. So how does Afrobarometer work with policymakers and other stakeholders to translate research findings into action on climate change? All right, so one of the values of the Afrobarometer, and of course, the overall goal, as I mentioned at the beginning, is to give the public a voice in policy making. So, usually, when we finish a survey in any country, the first point of contact is usually with governments. So, we give a confidential briefing to the governments to tell them what the results are. We do this for two reasons. One, just as a courtesy, to give them a courtesy because governments give us the go ahead, they give us a green light to conduct the surveys. So it's a matter of courtesy to tell them what the findings are. But secondly, to use it as a basis to bring to the in front of policymakers and government leaders that these are the views of your citizens. This is how they experience different things. This is how they evaluate your own performance as a government. And these are their priorities. And we put it before the government and they take it from there. So different governments and different you know, public institutions take our data and use it in you know, a variety of ways. So just for example, this week, the Malawian police invited Afrobarometer to come and share some of the data about corruption in the police sector with them. And what they will do is take the data and then think about, okay, if they're going to have interventions to fight corruption in the police service. How do they go about that? These are the kinds of engagements we do at the country level. And that's the reason why we work with local partners. We don't have people coming from different countries to do the survey. It is locals who do the survey. They engage with their governments and their public institutions and talk about the results and make sure that the results gets into policy making in, in the country. And what we also do is, of course, we do this across all the countries and we've had different governments take our data and use it in different ways. Either it is used as a, a basis for a policy or used as you know, evidence that something can happen. So, for example, if when well, we did this survey about the LGBTQI community in Botswana, it was clear that the people of Botswana actually are more comfortable with LGBTQI issues than the government thought it was. 
And so when the government saw the Afrobarometer data and saw that there was some favorable accommodation across the population on LGBTQI issues, they went ahead to legalize same-sex relations. And so what Afrobarometer data does is it gives governments the platform and the hook to take certain policy decisions that otherwise you wouldn't know if you don't ask the population. Thank you, Joseph. This is very helpful. Based on the surveys, uh, the interviews, what role do Africans see for the private sector and the governments in addressing climate change in Africa? All right. And so this also goes back you know, to what I, I did indicate earlier. I generally, we see that on average, citizens see this as a shared responsibility and they think the private sector has to play a role. And so the private sector and governments in particular, but also they think that citizens has a role to play. And so I think that by and large, the private sectors, so our data does show that Africans are certainly not satisfied with what is actually happening with the key stakeholders. So whether it is the private sector or governments or the international community, people are feeling the sense that people that they, these stakeholders are not doing enough to mitigate climate change. And they want to see all these stakeholders play a role. And the private sector is highlighted as one of the key actors. And of course, governments being the lead in, in the fight against climate change. To conclude, I have family and friends back in Africa, and some of them don't really care about climate change. What actions can the average African or my friend back in Africa can do to help mitigate and adapt to the impacts of climate change? Right, so mitigation and adaptation, I think it comes down to the sense of being willing to make some sacrifices when it is necessary. And I think the general sentiment across the continent is that people feel like uh, there's a sense that people are willing to make some sacrifices. But those sacrifices, are, I think, are conditional on what governments do. Because when governments show some kind of empathy and a sense of you know, willingness to also sacrifice as governments to make sure that certain policies get implemented to mitigate climate change, I think citizens are more likely to come along. But the key thing will be for citizens to be willing to make some sacrifices and accept some inconveniences because, you know, they, the more that we accept some inconveniences, at least for the interim period, the better it will be for the future generations. So having people just being prepared to make some of these sacrifices, I think is useful. So it may not be they taking an action, but knowing that some policy actions by government may make life inconvenient for them. So for example, if we get rid of plastic bags, that's going to be an inconvenience for most people, but will people be willing to accept that policy decision? And I think that's a key thing to consider. The second thing is just mindfulness of their own actions, because sometimes as our survey data show, people know that their own actions as well, that we, when we ask people what they think was causing climate change, more than half said it is the action, you know, human activity. And so people know that their own actions can affect climate change. But just having the consciousness that what I do in this planet, no matter how small, I can contribute to climate change. So what kind of behavior change do I need to take to make sure that the little that I can do can could potentially contribute to you know, mitigating climate change? And I think this comes down to what governments can do in educating the populations about what some, some of the small life changes that they need to do themselves 
to be able to help contribute to mitigating climate change. And of course, I do think that African citizens are prepared to make those sacrifices, but governments really have to invest in these areas. Definitely. So we definitely should be ready to make some sacrifices for the sake of our planet. Joseph, thank you very much for taking the time to come. You can find more information about Joseph's work and Afrobarometer at afrobarometer.org. And you can follow him on Twitter at Joe Asunka. Thanks again to Joseph for taking the time to talk with us today. You can learn more about the Center for International Development Research, upcoming events, and Road to GEM23 programming at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back soon.